We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by Border Hawk News on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM radio. The answer and welcome to the show. Welcome to the new year. 2022, the first edition of our show today, my my friends. I can't imagine how quickly uh, everything has gone by. Uh, I mean, it was just the, <laughs> the other day we were celebrating Christmas. So anyway, welcome to our show, my friends. We've got a packed show today. Uh, we've got uh, some some very interesting uh, folks that we've gone out and, and interviewed. These are these are just regular citizens that we uh, we uh, solicited and went 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 out and 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 did some interviews with them. Uh, among these are Miss Tanya Sue Langston, Miss Auburn Gallagher, Miss April Salazar, and Mr. Ken Mercer. Uh, they will be chatting with us and giving us their perspective of what was good and bad about 2021 and what they're hoping for in 2022. We also have uh, Mr. Don Irvine, who is uh, from Washington, D.C. He is the executive director of um, Accuracy in Media. And Don is going to be chatting with us about uh, all, of the, uh, all of the fake news and uh, the problems that they created, the problems that they've had in 2021, uh, as more and more people began to realize that uh, fake news is real. I mean, they are fake news, and they are provoking. They are trying to uh, push a narrative. They are trying to uh, set an agenda is what they're trying to do, and helping the, the Democrats, helping the liberals, definitely. So Don will be chatting about uh, that. We also have Miss Meredith Chacon. Miss Meredith Chacon is, the form, is a former uh, DA prosecutor here in Bear County. And we're going to be chatting with her because uh, there has been a lot of talk this past week about the crime waves across the country, uh, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and here in San Antonio itself, the uh, crime waves. And uh, as a firm, former prosecutor in the district attorney's office, she's going to be chatting with us as to what she sees as problematic, what she sees as the issues that have created this whole problem of, uh, of, of crime and uh, the rise in crime. So my friends, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. Call your friends and tell them to join us uh, on KLUP 930 AM radio. The answer, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Let's go to our first guest. Thank you for being with us. Welcome back, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM. And we've got... Uh, Another one of our uh, citizens, one of our listeners, and uh, Miss uh, Tanya Sue Logston from Glen Rose, Texas, uh, up in North Texas here, north of San Antonio. And uh, I wanted to get her on and ask her the same thing I'm asking other citizens uh, in our little uh, survey interviews uh, about what was good and bad about 2021 and what she expects in 2022. Tanya, thank you for t taking time to be with us. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. What do you anticipate? What was good and bad about 2021 uh, as far as you're concerned? Well, since I'm more of an optimistic person, I prefer to go ahead and uh, I like to leave things on a good note. So let's address what I feel like was um, bad for 2021 first. One of the most troubling things that I noticed and, and experienced and saw firsthand was an increase in the lack of respect. The growing number of people who became so self-absorbed 
that they turned on the very people who have loved and cared for them, the very people who provided them employment, the very people who uh, they lived in the neighborhoods with. Um, and, you know, I, to be honest with you, I think the majority of that stemmed from the political shenanigans that our government projected through their ungodly narrative. I... And, and that's a shame. That's an absolute shame. But then on the good side of 2021, what I saw was a growth in awareness, especially from our patriots. You know, and I think that came from the exposure of the truth and their ability to recognize and also understand the importance of knowing the truth. You know, evil has penetrated almost every aspect of the world in which we live in. But I have noticed, and, and I think is a good thing, you know, patriots are coming out. They're standing up, they're speaking up, and they're speaking up without fear. They're asserting themselves into all kinds of situations, adversary places. They're really trying to make a difference, you know, because I think they have decided to believe in something bigger than themselves. And they are preparing themselves, you know, as a whole, as a unified group to... Uh, pretty much take our country back and, 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 you know, to coin a phrase, to make it great again. You know, um, I, I think that has probably one, been one of the greatest things I've seen is the exposure of the truth for 2021. And I have big hopes for 2022. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let me ask you then, what do you expect for 2022? I expect there to be more exposure, but with that exposure... I am expecting a massive amount of accountability, and that's on every level of life, every level of everything we do, from our daily living to our local government, to our state government, to our federal government. I I am expecting exposure and accountability in the medical industry, exposure and accountability in the education. I am expecting and believing that we are going to start to see the accountability come forth, which until we get accountability, nothing is going to change. Until someone becomes accountable for some of this mess that has been created by men and women, we're not ever going to see a change. But I am believing that the accountability is going to be the most abundant in 2022 like we've never seen before i i couldn't agree more i certainly have that hope and expectation tanya thank you very very much for taking time to be with us today anything else that you'd like to add before we let you go everyone needs to learn to stay strong stand firm and believe in something bigger than themselves amen amen Thank you very, very much. We've been speaking with our good friend, Miss Tanya Sue Langston, Logston, rather, in uh, Glen, from Glen Rose, Texas. Tanya, you take care and have a happy, prosperous New Year. And you as well, George, and thank you so much. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, and we're continuing our uh, interviews with folks uh, across the state. Uh, We now have Miss Auburn Gallagher, who is in Leander, Texas, which is just north of uh, San Antonio, just north of Austin, too, uh, on the I-35 corridor, and uh, she's an activist, and I wanted to reach out to her and ask her what... um, what uh, was good and bad about 2021, and what do you anticipate, Auburn, in 2022? Welcome to the show. Talk to us. Tell us. What do you think? 
Well, George, um, let's talk about 2021. What's uh, good about it? I think the only thing that's good is finally people are starting to see the truth and starting to come together and band together for um, the better of our country. It's taken a long time, and I still think it's on a slow train, but I see it picking up speed. What's bad about it? Um, I feel like we have a tyrannical government. I feel like our constitutional rights are being violated. The fact that our state is being invaded or our borders are being invaded by illegals from not just Honduras or Nicaragua or any of those. They're coming from all over the world. A lot of pedophiles, a lot of um, MS-13 members and, and other things that are dangerous to our country. Um, the fact that our government is not doing anything and our governor in the state of Texas has done very little. Um, what I'm hoping for for 2022 is I'm hoping that we will come together as a state, as two Texans, um, as true um, constitutionalists and bring this state, the state of Texas, back up to the level it's been at for many, many years, um, protecting our rights, protecting the people, protecting our borders. Um, and I'm hoping we can do that by bringing in strong elective constitutional officials that will do that to protect our state and those of us in this state. Too many people are being harmed by the, the situation at our border. Um, our rights are being taken away. Mandates to be put in place. People are losing their jobs. So we need someone who is here to protect Texas and Texans, as well as bringing the 2022 elections back to D.C. and making it red so that we can hopefully get our country back on track because what's happening right now is so very sad. It, you know, the... Uh the situation with uh, any lessons that we've learned, do you think that uh, we have learned any lessons and thereby 2022 will be different? I think we have learned lessons. I think we as American people and as Texans, I think are starting to come up out of this fog we've been in for 10, 15, 20 years, right? Um, believing everything the doctor told us or everything the TV told us or everything our government told us without question. And now we're starting to question and think for ourselves and ask why and not agree and be able to stand up for ourselves. And I think that that is the one thing that's coming out of this and that's what's bringing us back together is people are starting to say, wait a minute, a week ago it was this and you know, two weeks ago it was that. And I think we're starting to see um, a clearer line coming. It's slow, it's slow, but I think it's, it's happening. Anything that you'd like to uh, share with the folks before we let you go? I think that people really need to be aware of just how dangerous what is happening on our southern border really is. I don't think they get a clear shot of it, and I don't think they clearly understand. It's not just for Texas. It's not just for Arizona or Louisiana or New Mexico. This is for the entire United States. The amount of dangerous drugs and people coming across the southern border of the United States is absolutely horrifying. And the fact that they don't understand it or don't see it um, is a little bit scary. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've documented it for a long time. And I think that they need to wake up and realize it's not just affecting us in the south. It's coming to a neighborhood near you. You got it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Auburn, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll touch base with you maybe at mid-year, and you can tell us what you think of what's happening in 2022. Good enough? Great. Thanks, George. I appreciate it. You got it. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. And we're continuing our uh, talks or interviews, should I say, with uh, citizens across the state. Uh, of Texas here, and our next uh, our next guest is Miss April Salazar from Austin, Texas. <clears throat> April, what, in your opinion, what has uh, the um, uh, what uh, was the worst and the best of twenty twenty one, and what are you hoping for in twenty twenty two? Well, George, I have to say that twenty twenty one was a very unique year. I think there are probably four things in 2021 that weigh the same on the bad scale for me myself that happened in 2021. 
The first one would be the illegitimate administration that took over the presidential office, of course. Second one would be the invasion of the United States by illegal immigration. The third would be the utter failure in Afghanistan by an inept illegitimate administration, myself being, you know, ex-military. I'm a vet. Uh, the fourth one would be the brazen disrespect for law enforcement and certain people wanting to defend the police. That would be the bad for me in 2021. The good that I've seen in 2021, uh, probably the first one would be the unification of the people that stood up for the constitutional rights against the tyrannical regime. And being able to go back to work after our businesses were shut down and, and many of them were closed due to this pandemic. The thing that I hope for and pray for in 2022 would be to secure our borders, get our the remaining citizens out of Afghanistan and to see the fall and imprisonment of the tyrannical regime. In other words, George, a huge red wave. As as a constitutional as a constitutionalist, do you feel that Texas needs to uh, stand up for Texas citizens much more? I do. I absolutely do. Considering the fact that Texas is one of the only um, states in the nation that can be its own nation, I think Texas needs to take care of Texas. You got and it. The citizens of Texas. Because obviously the federal government is not doing that for us. Considering all the damages to properties and to people from the invasion, yes, I, I definitely think that Texas needs to stand up more for the citizens of Texas. Do, uh, uh, do you see anything in Austin... I mean, you're right there in the heartland of socialism as far as we are concerned. Yes, you're absolutely right. Like a blueberry dot in a red sea of... Yeah, but <laughs> do you see any hope uh, for, for Austin? Uh, um, I see a glimmer of hope, yes, because there's a lot of people that are changing their minds about the things that are really going on. They're getting how the Democratic people would say woke. Um, and so a lot of Democrats are waking up to what's really happening. And they're seeing the influx, even in Austin, of illegal immigration. Wow. Yep. And crime waves. I mean, Austin, this is the first year that Austin has had so many homicides that they've had. And it's disgusting because we have a tyrannical mayor that degutted our police department. And that's amazing. That That is really tragic. Yeah, it's cause and effect. So... If you take away the police, the criminal masterminds are going to go nuts, though, and they're going to have fun with it. That's, so that's that, where we're at. That's right. When you excuse and when you excuse and reward bad behavior, you get more of it. You're no right. doubt about it. April, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. We've been chatting with uh, citizen April Salazar from Austin. April, you take care, and I hope that this is a great new year for you. You too. Have a very happy new year and many blessings to you and your family, George. Thank you very much. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. Welcome to the show, folks. We've got uh, a good friend of mine on the radio. We've had him before, a long time ago. but We've got him. Uh, I wanted to reach out to him again, uh, Mr. Ken Mercer. And Ken uh, was on the um, Texas Board of Education, so he has seen... Uh, education inside and out, public education inside and out. So I wanted to reach out to him. As uh, you know, we are doing our show, uh, our, our New Year's show. I wanted to reach out to folks and talk to them about um, what good and bad happened in, 220, in, in 2021 and what are we looking for in the future. Ken, thank you for taking time to be with us. Talk to us. What good and bad things did you see in 2021, and what are you hoping for in 2022? Well, again, thank you, George, and I'll probably go backwards because the, the bad actually resulted in good, but the bad is because of the COVID and the uh, the uh, distance learning at home, remote learning. We saw a lot of things, and we saw the way that the far left really thinks about moms and dads. You know, the far left always has a, a quote that I agree with. It says that the number one correlation of success in education is parental involvement, and that's true. But they think parental involvement means that George and Ken, we, we serve hot dogs at halftime. 
parents involved. And, and they're, the bad we've seen is their treatment of moms and dads who would just come and ask simple, honest questions about curriculum and textbooks, whether it be health, uh, health education, sex ed, whether it be U.S. history, government economics, you know, all, whether it be 1619 Project or critical race theory, uh, why is my son being asked to stand up in class and say what percentage white he is and what, what blame does he take for the slavery of the 1860s, 104, 160 years ago? That's the bad. That's how bad it is. And, and it shows us, to be honest, the things that you and I have been saying the last 20 years, George, George Rodriguez and Ken Mercer have been saying it, that the far left of Marxist socialists have taken over education. And, and they've, uh, they've attacked George and Ken, call us, you know, far right or radical, but now parents are knowing that uh, what we've been telling and warning about the last 20 years, George, is true. So that's the bad. The bad, the, w- the way they treated parents. Correct. And I can address that with the good if you're ready for that. So Sure, let's do that. Well, the good is that, the good is that moms and dads are, uh, to use a phrase from the current <laughs> progressive, that they've woken up. They've woken up to how bad it is. Everything we've warned was happening, and they're fighting back, and they're going to school boards. And and, and it's by the way, uh, you know, for your listeners, I know you have a, a, a national audience, but uh, you know, I live in Texas, where we have one thousand two hundred school districts and nine thousand campuses of uh, elementary, middle school, and high school. About five point six million kids. We have more kids in public school that some of our states have total population. So, you know, it, it, but the good is the parents are standing up, even in Texas, and they're doing little things like questioning why is my son or daughter being asked to describe what percentage white they are, but here's a big one. I've warned about the sex ed, health ed, and many school districts uh, with, with the uh, online or at-home learning pull down their health ed classes. And, and, and the bad is that, which became good, they had, in Tennessee, they had some parents had to sign a waiver. The Rodriguez family would promise he would not look at George's curriculum while he's at home. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, isn't that outrageous? I mean, this is not a Marxist socialist country. It's a place called the United States of America. And to say parents sign a waiver, you would not look at the curriculum. <laughs> and parents, and I've had people call them from Round Rock, and I shouldn't mention the ISDs, complaining things like, uh, going to the school board meeting and they're saying you bought eight, ten copies of this book for my middle school. In fact, you bought it for all five or six middle schools. It's been assigned to my 11-year-old daughter. Let me share with you three or four passages from that book. And the parents are being arrested and, and removed from the school board meeting because what they're reading from the book that's required reading for their 11-year-old is improper decorum for a bunch of adults at a school board meeting. How about that, George? We've seen that across the nation, and even in a place called Texas, where parents are just reading excerpts from the books that are required reading that your tax money paid for, and the school board members, certain one, not all school boards, were upset and outraged at how dare you read that at a school board meeting. So that's the, the good and the bad, if you will. Parents are standing up saying, this is what you bought with my tax money, and you bought multiple copies at every middle middle school. What's going on? It uh, it it is really, really it has really pulled the curtain back so that we can see uh, this this situation in the in the public schools. What do you expect for twenty twenty two? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I've been talking to the groups across the nation and asked to speak to other groups, too, about trying to recruit moms and dads. You know, moms and dads are uh, need to be on school boards. And I, I've been at the State Board of Education where uh, uh, George Rodriguez may testify, and they ask you, well, George, how many years have you taught and what degree do you have? And, and I get upset because I tell my, my colleagues, and usually it's Democrats, but some Republicans, but most but ask parents, that these, these are our customers. These are moms and dads, and apparently calling a parent a customer is a foreign word to a lot of elected officials. I mean, you and I know that if you don't know who your customer is, you're going to be out of business, right? Correct. But And, and in this year, I think people are going to realize, hey, those moms and dads, those are our customers. These are their kids. And by the way, parents are listening to George's show. I got to tell you, you do not lose, when you take your kids in the morning and you drop them off at the steps of the schoolhouse, you have not, you have not lost your rights as a mom and dad. You're still a parent. And, and some of the far left have a hard time with that, George, but I see parents standing up. Um, my dream is that the elections will come up. I saw my friends in Colorado Springs 
where churches were holding forums. You know, where do you stand on CRT in 1619? Where do you stand on health, education, sex ed? And you know, you know, and they're holding forums. And, and, and Colorado Springs did an excellent job of finding cons- conservative moms and dads to replace liberals in the school boards. I hope that happens in Texas. You got it, buddy. Uh, that's my, you said where I'm hoping I'm going to go. I hope in 2022 we see elections in Texas across the nation where moms and dads who care about kids and they want a great education, that liberals say, well, Mr. Mercer, we need people who care about students and care about education. Well, you just, you just defined a parent. Yep. <laughs> you know, so, but they don't want parents on there, George, and that's what they, they don't want moms and dads on there. So the, the bad news, the way they've attacked parents, the good news, parents have, have, to use their term, have woke up and realized how bad it is, and they're fighting back. Thank you, God for that, George. You got it. Ken, thank you very, very much for helping us, and, uh, and we've got to get you back on the show. We can talk a little bit more in depth uh, about uh, CTR and a few other things that are happening in our, in, in our community. Thank you, sir. And I tell everybody, George and I are pretty smart guys, but we're not that smart. We cannot make this stuff up, right, George? <laughs> it's really, we're smart guys, Fiction. but we're not that smart to make up what's happening. It is outrageous, but thank God for moms and dads. You got it. You have a happy new year, my friend. God bless you, buddy. You too. Ken Mercer, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP.
but now that the parents are seemingly being awakened, you know, the news media almost seems to be called a little bit off guard. Like, okay, now what do we do? How do we how do we vilify parents? Right? It's not vil- it's not vilify the educators. It's not go and blame the educators, uh, the teachers' unions, and things like that for the job that they were doing of foisting this curriculum upon on our kids and grandkids. It's the parents. How dare they stand up and speak against the establishment teachers' unions? The teachers' unions always know best, right? I mean, Terry McAuliffe, you know, he kind of he kind of did himself in. He had a lot of other issues, I think, in Virginia with regard to his race that he had put in there. You know, going back even to what I said at the beginning about Trump, he wanted to make that a referendum around Trump. Voters in Virginia, they had moved on. So then, you know, he, he, while they're still struggling to figure out what to do there, when he dips his toe into critical race theory, you know. He basically goes and criticizes the parents. Well, those parents are voters. Those are the people that are going to go to the polls. Those are people that are going to be voting for governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and the state house of delegates. It was a very bad year for the Democrats in Virginia. But that you know that was their own mistake. They, they believed you know what what their consultants did, but also what the media said was were issues that they needed to focus in on, and that you know that here were the boogeymen. And those boogeymen were parents, you know, they were not the teachers' unions, et cetera, et cetera. And so as a result of that, you know, McAuliffe goes down in flames, you know, and he's the former governor. You know, you know he'd only been out for the one term. He was trying to make a comeback. And, you know, that was, that was an extreme embarrassment, I think, to them overall, to the Democrats. And it looks, you know, doesn't look good for them for, you know, the overall race. Races that will happen in 2022 when you see that. And it doesn't really make a difference what the issue is. I mean, what's another big issue that comes up even now? I mean, we're, the Democrats are still struggling is that they're, you know, they're built back better program, right? Joe Biden and the Democrats have been, they've been trying desperately to try to figure out a way to, uh, to make this happen. It's not going to happen this year, obviously. And, you know, the questions are, will it not happen next year? But the Democrats, you know, along with their allies in the liberal media, they're trying to soften the blow. You know, as soon as Joe Manchin came out and said that, you know, he couldn't vote for that bill as it was constituted, you know, what what did everybody jump on? The media jumps on? They jump on, you know, uh, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski figuring out, okay, if we, if we vilify them, if we go after them and pound them, we'll get them to switch their votes. You know, we'll get them to support, you know, build back better, and we won't need Manchin and Sinema in the end. Uh, and it's like, but we don't. What did, what did those three senators do? They're Republican senators. They're holding the line. They're holding, you know, on this. Uh, but the, the pressure from the media, the pressure from the Democrats in order to twist and to turn these issues around is just amazing. You know, I, I cannot, you, you just kind of can go down a list like that, you know, one by one by one and just see how badly the, the, the media has just misstepped on all of these types of things throughout the year. And the end result is, you know, a news organization like CNN, they're struggling. You know, they don't really know where the heck they're going. You know, they don't know who they want to be. They don't know <laughs> what they're going to do. They had they had the Cuomo problem. Uh, you know, they had been criticized a little bit early on. You know, with with Chris Cuomo, you know, you know all his uh, jolly banter with his brother as the governor. You know, during during the height of the COVID, you know, issues and. You know, as it goes along, we learn out that you know they're not. That Chris has basically been kind of you know, advising his brother, using the information and the connections he had in the media to try to find ways of helping his brother, who was starting to, to spin out of control with with all the sexual harassment allegations and just the total mismanagement that uh, Cuomo did in New York with the nursing homes, causing all those uh, needless deaths. Uh, you know, during COVID. Uh, and things like this, and, and, and CNN, you know, I mean, they they stood by Cuomo until they finally had to give in and say, you know, we, you know, we're firing him, we're going to take a stand and fire him. But but it looked pretty weak. I don't know about you, George, but I thought that that looked like a pretty weak way of doing it. They, they, you know, if they were going, if they were really going to look like they had some honor or some integrity or whatever, that that would have happened months and months ago. It would not have happened when it happened after just finally all the pressure. And all the evidence was pouring out showing that, you know, that Cuomo was trying to help his brother <laughs> and save his brother from getting thrown out of office. Yeah. Which, 
But how <laughs> disgraceful is that to have the New York governor, a Democrat from the Cuomo dynasty, leave office before his term is over? Yeah, I mean, so so much for independent and fair reporting for which, you know, this liberal media, uh, you know, has tried to, you know, take a stand on, say, you know, we're here, we're, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're just reporting the news. Well, we know that you, you know, you've gone, you've crossed that border, you know, a long, long time ago that, you know, you have, there's an agenda, they're, they're following that agenda, you know, they were, you know, Trump, you know, the media did a big number on him and really convinced the American public that, uh, that Trump was not the guy that should be leading the country going forward. And here we are after 11 months of Joe Biden and things have certainly gone right into the, you know, to a hole here with a lot of issues where Biden has not been able to solve things. And what does he have to, you know, to hold up, you know, as anything good? The media scrambles. The media is desperately scrambling to try to find a way, you know, to paint a, a positive picture of the Biden administration. But that's pretty rough. It's pretty hard for them to do that when there's really nothing to go out there and say that Joe Biden has really done this is really changing the country, making the country better. You know, they get an infrastructure bill passed, but, you know, we know that that's, you know, that's a lot of money spent, not necessarily going in the right places. And, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be dubious every time the government you know, passes these huge bills that, you know, the money's going to wind up where it's supposed to be going. And with Build Back Better, uh, you know, I think, you know, Joe Manchin at least is trying to take a stand and say, look, you know, what, do we need to do this at this point in time? I mean, the country's already spiraling, you know, with inflation that we haven't seen since we were a whole lot younger, George. Yep, that's uh, right. You know, and, and, you know, this is something where my kids, they've never seen this. You know, uh, you know, I know a lot of younger people are like, they're just, they're absolutely shocked about how fast prices are rising. You and I have both lived through inflationary periods. We're kind of used to, you know, what to expect. But this, you know, this has got to be, you have to pin the blame squarely on the Biden administration and the media for doing a terrible job here of trying to explain this to American people. They're going, oh, it's just temporary. It's going to work itself out, you know. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden goes out there and says he's going to fix the supply chain by, you know, keeping the ports open 24-7. But where, where, is, where is the reporting about that's actually not really going to solve anything because staying open 24-7 doesn't mean that you're going to find the workers, the truckers, you know, the, the people that you need to actually offload the containers and get the products out of the port into onto store shelves and things like that. It's just the cluelessness of the Biden administration, but for the most part, you know, the media has been, has just turned a blind eye. I think they're, you know, just trying to scramble and figure out how in the heck do we salvage this administration? How do how do we help, you know, Kamala Harris? You know, she's supposed to be the president-in-waiting, in essence, and she has just, you know, flamed out very badly. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, how, do, how do they deal with all of that? It's just, it's a real problem for the media. It's a real problem. Well, I mean, I always want to be hopeful. I mean, I think that's always, you know, I don't, I don't want to paint a very bleak picture, but I mean, you know, the media is the media. The, you know, they have, for, from AIM's standpoint, we, we know, you know, a 50-plus year history of how they have behaved. Even when they say one thing, they wind up doing the other. Uh, will you know what? What we what we need is some honesty and integrity among the media. That I don't see them getting anytime soon. You know, it's not like they're going to get religion about actually covering the administration and covering the news that the way they they should. But you know, there's always going to there's always a glimmer of hope somewhere along the line. Somebody will will stand up and, and do something. And you know, with the president's agenda kind of mired in the muck at this point in time, you know, maybe it will lead some of the people in the media to say, okay. You know, I mean, they are writing some stories about the potential you know, disaster looming in November for the for the House of Representatives, where you know Democrats could get really slaughtered. Uh, but they're not doing it. You know, they're doing it with trepidation and hoping that those predictions don't come true. But you know, every day we go through this, the map just gets worse and worse for the Democrats. And so they and they don't have they don't have Biden to use. I mean, the media, the Democrats. Biden is not an asset to them. You know, yeah. He and Harris are a liability to them on the campaign trail. So, you know, for Republicans and conservatives, yeah, I mean, I think 2022 will wind up, you know, by the time we get to this point next year, we'll have a very different look in, you know, in the House and the Senate. Um, and then I think that gives us a chance, probably more toward, toward 2023 than 2022 in terms of, I'm probably more optimistic about that point. You got it, buddy. We've been talking, my friends, uh, and and we got to get get you back on to 
to give us more insight, since you're right there in Washington, to give us more insight about the uh, the media and its behavior. <laughs> but we're, we're, <clears throat> we've been talking with our good friend, <clears throat> Mr. Don Irvine, who is uh, executive director of um, Accuracy in Media, a uh, watchdog organization in, in, for the media in, in D.C. <clears throat> and Don, tell the folks where they can follow you and how they can uh, support your organization. Yeah, they can go to aim.org. That's the easiest way. That's where our articles and everything like that, they can sign up for the daily, or well, however often the email is going out these days, the email list there. Um, they can go follow us on, on Twitter, Instagram, you know, all the, you know, Facebook, all the, all the social media sites. We have a presence all there. So it's, uh, we're, we're very easy to find. You got it. Thank you very, very much, John, for coming on our show once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 9:30 AM Radio, The Answer. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism. Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio here in San Antonio. And we've got a new guest with us, Miss Meredith Chacon, who is a former prosecutor here in Bear County, former district attorney prosecutor, has a lot of knowledge and uh, has a lot of knowledge and, and uh, information as background, her background in, uh, uh, in uh, the legal system. Uh, she's also a partner at Chacon Campbell and Alexander here in San Antonio. I wanted to get her on because uh, we've been speaking a lot with folks regarding the issue of the uh, 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 of the crime wave that we are seeing not only across the country but here in San Antonio. And uh, Meredith, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Let's talk about it from your perspective. Uh, what do you see happening with us? Uh, as a society, as a, as a, as here in Bear County, uh, with uh, the shootings, the crime, the violence that's been going on. Well, it's interesting that you ask, George, and, and thank you for having me on. I think that um, we are seeing an, an increase in what I like to think of as lawlessness, if you will, and I think it can be directly correlated to uh, progressive or, or liberal policies that have been put into place by the current DA's office that pick and choose which laws to enforce, and then um, they're inept at enforcing them once it goes to the courthouse. So I think that just allows people to have this atmosphere of they can get away with it, and so we're seeing crime on the rise. Now, we're seeing, we've seen a lot uh, with regards to decriminalization. Um, we're, we're seeing, I mean, uh, when I talk to, uh, to uh, law enforcement officers, whether they're police or Bear County deputies or state troopers, they are seeing, in uh, particularly in the major, large cities, uh, decriminalization, a, a, a lack of, uh, how can I say it, uh, they're, they're, uh, people are allowed to um, uh, get away with it. Uh, like in San Francisco, I mean, it's that's the prime example uh, where they've... Uh, raise the threshold of you committing a crime to ridiculous levels and so you can commit a crime. Uh, oh, certainly, and, and it's funny that you mentioned San Francisco because the current DA has mentioned in speeches that he's given that that's one of the offices that he seeks to emulate, which is frightening to those of us who, I'm a downtown business owner, my, my firm is downtown, and we are seeing the great effects of these policies of just not prosecuting and what they're having on our community downtown as well as in the outlying areas of San Antonio and Bear County. Yeah, that you know that that's got to be frightening in that aspect of it. The um, the I have heard that people say that uh, you know when you reward bad behavior, you get more of it. Do you think that's the case? Well, I do. I think I think that it, it kind of happens 
in two ways. Law enforcement feels neutered, feels like they are no longer empowered to enforce the law that is still, by the way, legitimate law. And so if they know that they are, are going to be turned away when they take people downtown who've committed crimes, then they no longer take them down to, to be processed. And so those people, uh, as a byproduct of that, also realize that they can get away with whatever they want because law enforcement feels like they cannot get anywhere with it. And so the cycle continues, and we find that people are becoming more and more aggressive, more and more emboldened, and that crime is going up. The, uh, you know, the situation that we're seeing, uh, particularly with police departments that are, that uh, you know, the effort to defund them, uh, seems to be a direct uh, correlation with uh, district attorneys that just don't seem to... to uh, back them up as well as um, they want to decriminalize things. What's your what, what's your thought on that? Well, I think first and foremost, defunding the police is the most ridiculous idea. Um, we have not put enough resources into our law enforcement to keep pace with the growth of Bear County, and so to, to think of defunding it is just opposite to what would be uh, logical or, or right or correct. Secondly, I think that if, if someone wants to change the law, the mechanism for that is to go to Austin and to pass a law in the legislature or to change the law there. It's not to decide to pick and choose which laws to enforce based on some sort of political doctrine that someone has an alliance to. Um, I think that we need to re-examine as a society how we are dealing with the mentally ill and those who are addicted to drugs. But that does not mean that we take money away from our police who are underfunded in having to deal with first responders to respond to crisis and crimes that have been committed. Yeah, you know, uh, the the situation with punishing police, bad police, nobody is against that. But sure. to, uh, you know, but, but to punish all police officers or to limit their abilities to do their work uh, doesn't, I mean, that doesn't seem to... Um, to really make sense, particularly when you've got a crime wave that's going, that's escalating. Certainly, and I think a proactive thing that should be happening that that um, is not happening is that it is it is the DA's office duty to work with and train law enforcement and best practices for investigations to make sure that they are a partner in that fight. And so, if they're working with rather than against law enforcement, they can improve the culture of law enforcement and also improve quality of investigations and therefore we can have a higher conviction rate and we can make sure that people are safe. Uh, when you worked in the uh, in, in the DA's office, um, when you got uh, a report from the police for, on, on an investigation or a, um, uh, a report on, on, on an incident, uh, how was it handled differently than, than it is now, than it appears to be now? Well, I'm not there now, so I can only speak to what I believe in my criminal defense practice, what I've seen from the outside, okay? When I was a prosecutor, I thought that it was very important then, rather than just allow the police to drop off a, a case file, that we sat down and reviewed it with them. And so we had begun, at least in the child abuse and domestic violence areas of the office, we were going over to their uh, special victims unit and sitting down directly with the detectives to go over the cases that were being filed. And this prevented... The cases that shouldn't be filed from coming over, and it also allowed us to give them feedback and say, no, we need you to go do more work on this case, and then it might be a good case, and so we had stronger cases. I do not get the idea that that is still happening, because the main, the chief complaint is they want more people, they want more people, they have a backlog, but, you know, you can crank through the backlog all day long when we have the lowest conviction rate in the state for domestic violence. Somebody's not able to carry the ball across the finish line. And when you have a low conviction rate, obviously, then the, then the people, I mean, you know, it, 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 if, if you're going to let somebody off uh, for a, a crime uh, and, and they're going to return to the same situation, I mean, that, that puts the victims in, uh, in peril, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think that what is currently missing is a collaborative approach to domestic violence that they've piloted in other areas. That would, that would allow us to have a more perpetrator-focused uh, um, system where we're making sure that that person is not only held accountable but given treatment to hopefully prevent future incidents. And we also have to coordinate services for victims, which means you have to have a prosecutor's office who's a good partner with other agencies, with nonprofits, and with law enforcement to make sure that victim is protected and that the perpetrator's addressed. Yeah, there was a... a, a uh 
an article in the news media not too long ago about um, how domestic violence has escalated in San Antonio. Oh, absolutely, and it's been a problem for many, many years, but it has certainly escalated, and, um, and this idea that there was a backlog of cases that they were able to push through, I've seen in my own practice, uh, clearly there was a lack of assessment of some of these cases. If you're pushing through thousands of cases into the front end of the system and then you're dismissing 60% of them, then you're not you're not doing a careful case assessment at the front end and you're also not up to date on the best practices for how to get to that trial. Well, I, I would have to ask, you know, if you're dismissing that many cases, well, what's the point of bringing the case uh, to you, to the to the DA's office. <laughs> Certainly, and there's innovative trial tactics and, and, and training, actually, that's very important for law enforcement to have in those investigations so that a case can be stronger. Sometimes it's just a matter of asking the right questions out at the scene, and then you have a case you can put on whether or not your victim is still cooperative at the time of prosecution. Um, that article highlighted some of those things that are being used in Tarrant County, and before I had left the DA's office, we had attempted to implement some of those, uh, those collaborative approaches, and I don't think that those continued after we left. Gotcha. Uh, here at the close, uh, in conclusion, um, if you could wave a magic wand, uh, what would you do differently? I think first and foremost, I would build a strong training program for prosecutors, I would make sure and assign felony-level prosecutors to domestic violence cases, regardless of the level of offense. Those are the most dangerous cases in a misdemeanor court, and they should be handled seriously. And I would make sure that we were working hand-in-glove with law enforcement to make sure that the strongest investigations possible were coming into the office so that we could take an upstream approach to it and, and, and do our best from the very beginning of the case until we're able to secure safety for the victims. You got it. We've been speaking with Ms. Meredith Chacon, a former uh, DA prosecutor here in Bear County and now with uh, Chacon, Campbell, and Alexander. Uh, Meredith, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us and for shedding a little bit of light on, on our uh, judicial system here locally. Thank you, George. I'd love to talk to you again sometime. Uh, we will get you back on, definitely. I, I don't think this issue of, of uh, the crime wave and, the, and, and, and that, that uh, is going on in in the in the city as well as across the country is going to go away i don't either i sure appreciate the time you got it once again my friends george rodriguez el conservador on klup 930 am radio the answer mm-hmm.